So why does a business corporation exist? You know, it exists to make money. Now, there's lots of times that business leaders can, ex can get distracted from that, and maybe they think about employing people or producing a product, selling a product, but in the end, if there's not money coming in, then it's gonna cease to exist. And so, businesses sometimes have to remind themselves why they exist, and the same is true for churches. Now, we don't exist to make money, but we do have some specific purposes, and it's easy for us to get distracted from that. Sometimes we get hung up on money when we shouldn't. A church can sometimes not necessarily say this, but come to act like they exist to maybe to pay a mortgage. Like we have a new building over here and, and it would be easy to get so focused in on making sure those payments are made and then we get all that paid off that we focus in on bringing in money and not spending anything on programming. And that would be wrong because we'd be missing the point. Sometimes churches can get distracted into thinking that they exist to employ ministers. And while I'm all for employing ministers, right, that's not why we're here. I mean, it's not just so there's ministers who are on staff or in the community or performing services. We're here for more than just that. We can get distracted for lots of things. Sometimes we think it's so we have a place where we belong. And while that's closer to the purpose of the church, that's not the reason we exist either. We might even get a little closer to what this is all about and say, maybe the church exists so that we can send money all over the world and do foreign missions so that people can know about Jesus. Now, I believe that every church should be involved in foreign missions. Every church should be involved in sharing the gospel beyond their community, even beyond their country, to places that don't know Jesus at all. But that's not even the core of why we exist. We might even say in a place like this that part of the reason we exist, or maybe the reason we exist, is to support a Christian school. Now that's a great ministry in our community, and we're all about raising up young leaders for the church and people who are strong in their faith, but that's not the reason that Taylorville Christian Church exists. So what is it all about? It's good for us from time to time to sort of step back and remind ourselves why we exist, because it is so easy for staff members, for elders, for people in the church to get distracted by all the stuff that we are doing that is really good stuff and think that's the core purpose. So, for the next couple weeks, I want us to step back and think about why are we here? Why does this church exist in this place, in this time, in this community? And to do that, we're going to look at some passages that we've seen before. We're going, to, we're going to think about some stuff that we've talked about in the past, but need to, need to come back to. So if you've been here a while, you've heard us talk about these passages, but I want us to see them again because they remind us what we're all about. Now, for the past five years, we've sort of said that our focus, our reason for existence is found in one important passage we find in Mark chapter 12. In that passage, Jesus has asked, okay, Jesus, what is the the greatest commandment. And what Jesus does is not come up with something new, is he takes a quotation from what would be his Bible, what we call the Old Testament. Remember, when Jesus is preaching and teaching, nothing in the New Testament exists yet. It's being lived out at that point, so it's not, not written down at all. What we have just is the Old Testament, 
what we might call the Hebrew Bible. It was Jesus' Bible. And so he quotes from that when he's asked what the most important commandment is. And it goes this way. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 29. The most important one, Jesus says, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, many people in Jesus' day, if they were asked, what's the greatest commandment? Many people would have quoted the first part of what Jesus said. That whole love the Lord your God, they would have said, that's it. That's at the heart of who we are as the people of Israel. Now, Jesus adding that love your neighbor as yourself would have probably been a little surprising. But that's what we've said is the core of who we are as a church. Now, we've studied that passage in Mark several times. I want us to take a step back from that even today and look at the context of these quotations that Jesus uses. We're going to look at the one from Deuteronomy that forms the first half this week. And then Pastor Zach is going to talk about the second half, Love Your Neighbors Yourself, next Sunday as we think about our purposes for existing as a church. Now, if we go back to what Jesus quotes from, it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, the name Deuteronomy, what this book is all about is found in that name. It comes from two Greek words. In fact, lots of the Old Testament books have Greek words as their, as their, uh, as their root for their title, even though they're all written in Hebrew. And this one is from two words, and it simply means second law. And we might meet, think, okay, well, if, if Deuteronomy is the second law, is this sort of the second version of it? Is this an addition to the first law? What are we talking about? Really what it means is the second giving of the law. It's the same law that we find in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, but it is restated. So it's a second giving of the law, a restatement of the law. And we find it done sort of in really powerful language that spoke to the people of Israel, and that is all the more true in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and in this passage, which really was the very core of who the people of Israel were. So this is what we find, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We find all this instruction about obeying the law, okay, at the beginning of the chapter and leading up to this chapter. It's all about God has made you a people, God has promised you a land, and if you want to be successful in all of that, obey God's commands. And then we read this, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, just like Jesus quoted it. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now for the people of Israel, this verse... This verse, they would have said, formed them into a people. Now that's not to discount the fact that God called them out of slavery in Egypt, made them a people, called them my people, and gave them a land. It's not that not, none of that's important. That's all bound up in this verse where God calls us people, Hear, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Because that said something vital, powerful about the very nature of this God who created them. Now, in English, it's pretty short. But in Hebrew, it's even shorter. These are the words that we find in the Hebrew version of this. Hear, Israel, Yahweh. And Yahweh is the personal name for God that we see in the Old Testament. Anytime you see Lord or God in all caps in the Old Testament, it's this personal name for God. 
Hear Israel, our God. Hear Israel, Yahweh, our God. Yahweh, one. What does that mean? Hear Israel, Yahweh, our God. Yahweh, one. Now, the NIV does a pretty good job of translating that that I read earlier. Jesus quotes very similar to something like that. We, we might could say it this way. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh alone. The point is, God is singular. He is one. This Yahweh, this creator God, that's what Genesis is all about. Yahweh is the creator, and because of that, he deserves worship. And that theme is carried through even the Deuteronomy chapter 6. Yahweh is one. What about all those other gods? What about the gods of all the nations that surrounded Israel? Yahweh is one. They don't matter. What about all the household gods? And we see this in the first five books of the Bible where the people have these household gods, a god for our own house. And then all the gods of the nations that surrounded them, the gods of rain, the gods of fertility, all the things that they worshipped. What about all of that? God is one. Israel, how many gods do you worship? One God. Israel, which God do you worship? Yahweh. And Yahweh alone. All those other gods are meaningless to us because it is this God who created the whole universe. It is this God who chose Israel in the midst of their slavery and called them my people and led them out and gave them a land. It is this God that we worship. And so for this reason, that verse forms who they are because it is this one God that was the basis for their being as a people. And what did this God call them to do? We find that in the next verse. Verse 5, and again, Jesus quotes this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus adds mind there. Again, they would have quoted this day and night, literally, every day as a people. So what does it mean? What does it mean for the people of Israel to hear that God had called them to love Him with all that they had? Well, it's not love as sort of a feeling. It's more than that. It's not just an emotional response to something. It is God calling His people to be completely devoted to Him. To demonstrate their allegiance to Him. It's about fidelity, faithfulness, more than just a feeling. And they were to love this God, demonstrate their love for this God, have faithfulness to, the, to this God with everything they were. With all that they are. Heart, soul, mind, strength, Jesus says. Now, we could sort of take all that apart and say, what does it mean to love God with your mind, your heart? Your... I don't really think that's the point. I think this is the point. It's cumulative. So if you take away what the author says there, if you take away heart, soul, strength, what do you have left? Nothing. Nothing that counts. The point is, love God with all you've got as a people. And so that comes down to us through Jesus 
to love God in the same way that this people loved God. This singular one God who formed them into a people and then through Jesus forms us into a people. Worship this God. And that's really the core of this. It's all about worship. It's all about devoting ourselves completely to God. We might say it this way, God deserves all you've got. God deserves all you've got. So how do we work that that out in our own lives? What does that mean for us as individuals and as a people? Well, it means it's about worship. It means that whatever we do should be worship. Yes, we've gathered for worship in this room today. But worship is not restricted to this room or this day. Worship should be part of all of life. And so if there's stuff in our lives that can't be worship, it's got to go. And if there's stuff in our lives that we are not using as worship, that needs to change. And so this dictates how we live our lives. And it says a lot about who we are. That was true for Israel. It made them a people. It's true for us. Because it changes who we are and it makes us a people. So how do we live it out? Well, I think it looks different in different times in our lives. Okay, we started talking about this a lot five years ago, but this is part of the history of of this church long before that. And so we have to think about, okay, what are my responsibilities? What are my opportunities? What are my resources? And those things change over time. Those things are not the same for all of us. So loving God with everything we've got, because God deserves all you've got, will look different for you than it does for me. And it may look very different for me now than it did five years ago or how it will look five years from now because my responsibilities, my opportunities, my resources change over time. So part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to reinterpret this over and over. And that's why we've got to come back to it. Because as individuals and as a church, our responsibilities, opportunities, and resources change over time. And we've got to focus back in on this and think about what it means for the next stage of our existence. Think about it this way. In your own life. Maybe there's a time in your life when what it would look like to love God is to raise your children in faith. Because if you read the rest of this chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's all about you got to pass this faith in this one singular God. you got to pass that on down through the generations, through your children and your grandchildren. And so those who are parents, and you've got this opportunity, you've got this responsibility to pass on your faith. Nobody else has as much time with your children as you do. And so you can pass that faith on. So a big chunk of of loving God at this point in your life is passing on your faith to your children and being an awesome parent. But there may be another time in life when what this means is taking care of parents who are sick, who are aged. It changes because they're going to be in need at that point. And you may be the person or with your siblings, the people who can meet those needs like no one else can. The responsibilities, the opportunities, the resources change. And so we have to rethink what does it mean at this point in my life to give God all I've got because that's what he deserves. Okay, so that's sort of individually. What about as a church? 
Five years ago, we said that our mission was going to be to do what we see on the screen right now, to love God and love others. And so we're continuing now to reinterpret that five years later. Yeah, things have changed. And so we're still thinking through what does it mean for us right now in this place, in this time, to devote ourselves completely to God? How are we going to do that? It still involves worship, right? Not just in this room, but everywhere. And what are we doing as a church? It's real easy for us to make this about us and my comfort, what I like, what I like to do, the people I like, and forget the people who need to know Jesus. Forget working this out in our community. Forget devoting ourselves not to my comfort, but to what God wants from us in this place and in this time. And so... We continue to think that through. It should all be worship. What are we doing as a church that can't be worship? That needs to go. What are we doing that may be important, but we're not doing as worship? That needs to change. We have to continually reinterpret this. How do we grow as a church? How do we lead people to a relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, people come in this room. And they come in this building at other times. And what they are looking for is an encounter with this God, this one singular God who brought them into being. And if our focus is on what makes me happy, what makes me comfortable, we're going to fail. And they will not have that encounter with this all-powerful creator God that Scripture talks about from beginning to end. But if we are focused in on giving God all we have and focused in on making everything worship and focused in on loving God by sharing his powerful name with the people around us so that they can have an encounter with this one singular God, then we can be successful. Then we can be the people that God wants us to be. But it means continually evaluating, continually reinterpreting what does it mean for God to get all that I've got. We will always be tempted to make this about ourselves. We will always be tempted to make it about what we want. And so we have to remind ourselves It's not about me. It's about loving God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength because God deserves all I've got. Let's pray together. God, remind us over and over and over when we forget that this is all about you. And help us to devote our lives and our life together as a community of faith to worship, to serving you with everything we've got. God, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.